0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Irish seas are hitting record-breaking temperatures as we experience the hottest start to June in history. But if we're in a climate crisis, why are we still stocking up on fast fashion and hopping on flights internationally? Joining me is Brendan Kelly, professor of psychiatry, uh, psychiatry rather at uh, Trinity College Dublin. Brendan, good morning. Good morning, Anton. Brendan, how is it that we can be facing humanity's greatest crisis and all of us not be fixated upon it and acting accordingly?
1: Ah uh, well anton we're being brought into you know face to face with the nature of of the human the human brain the human mind and how we respond to the world and the fundamental problem is that we have evolved to respond to fast or immediate uh, risk we're not wired to respond to large slow moving threats so for for example, if someone burst into the studio and threw a tennis ball across it at you, you would duck in time your brain and your nervous system would respond to the really short-term challenge very, very well. And that's why humans have survived. We're really good at that. But we are not good at responding to the large, slow-moving threat. So while climate change is happening fast to the world, it doesn't feel fast. It feels slow. And so we don't feel it as being nearly quick enough to get our attention minute by minute through the day.
0: Is that compounded by the sense of scale? Because if I take your analogy, somebody stepping into the studio and flinging something at me is something I feel I have the power to do something about. For many, do they look at climate change and think this is out of my hands, therefore I don't have to worry.
1: Yeah, climate change, uh, it feels and is very big. And faced with that, we feel very small. So it is difficult. So so there is a problem of scale, along with a bunch of other biases in our thinking. Um, Loss aversion is another one, in the sense that we're very reluctant to give up something today for a benefit that is in the future. We also have an optimism bias, this uh, sort of fundamental belief that everything is going to be okay, even when the information we're getting says the opposite. But we deal with that by our bias towards information that supports our already established viewpoints rather than information that challenges us. So, all of these, if you like, uh, short-term thinking mechanisms serve us very well in many situations, but they are what make make us fail to respond to climate change in the way that we should. It feels like it's a distant problem. It feels like a slow-moving problem. And as you say, our individual efforts can feel small uh, when, when you're faced with the scale of what's happening.
0: They also, I assume, provide very little in the way of a direct and immediate dopamine hit. There are things that we can do where on a relatively short space of time thereafter, we feel better about ourselves or we get a reward. It's very hard to get cause and effect on reward for action relating to climate change.
1: Yes, it is. And there's a whole science has, has grown up about how to do this, how to make those benefits feel immediate, because this problem isn't limited to climate change. So, for example, if we want to get people to do have a better diet and stop smoking and, and, and other such things, the benefits can be way down the road and quite vague and you don't feel them on the day. So there are there is this science of so-called co co-benefits whereby um, if you take an action that is beneficial for the climate in the long term, um, there we need to articulate and make clear benefits in the short term. Because, you know, Anton, most people want to do the right thing, but we do need our lives structured to make those choices easier and more attractive. So, for example, the idea that a community is generally more caring, compassionate, moral and a better place to live now if we focus on climate change in the long term is it is is a powerful message if we can make if we can feel that each day if there is clear evidence of that you know ultimately we we respond to little smiley faces appearing on our phones and other such things so something something that if you like taps into that short-term responsiveness uh, for these long-term actions that will produce long-term benefits would be enormously helpful so
0: if you're advising government and you're saying, well, OK, we need to get a mass behaviour change and a mass attitudinal shift, what are the kind of things that you would be suggesting they do?
1: Ah, well, if, if I mean, if I was advising government or if indeed I was running the country, there's a couple of things I would do. Firstly, we need to rebalance the messages. We need to get the message out there that this is very serious and could be if you like, the the end of the habitability of the planet for humans. But once we get that message out very strongly, say once a week, then every other day of the week in the media should be focused on positive stories about changes people have made or changes people can make and the benefits that come with them today. So, for example, in terms of travel, the message does need to be that, uh, you know, uh, unnecessary journeys, be they in cars, aeroplanes and so forth, damage the planet so other kinds of transport are good for the planet and also good for you. So, for example, cycling to work is good for you and you will feel better today and you will feel better next week. It will also be good for the planet in many years' times. You know, giving the the, the, the science and the logic work for some people some of the time, but they don't change behaviour for many people all of the time. So I would go for a once-weekly dose of science, uh, talking about the problem, talking about its magnitude and how we really need to take action. And then every other day of the week devoted to positive stories and, you know, well phrased stories that uh, prompt and reward behaviour change uh, in various ways.
0: Can you explain why the science has so little effect? I can understand the analogy of immediate threat. But if you take something, I mean, let's look at at cigarette warnings as a case in point. There was a a set of, of information where people knew this will almost certainly kill you. It, it is The likelihood is you will die of this activity, probably about 50-50 chance that doing it will cause your death. Mm. If you don't die of it, it will almost certainly make you ill. It'll, it'll deeply impact on your health in older life and your capacity to breathe. It may call, cause things like erectile dysfunction. It'll impact on your skin. It'll impact on your child's development if you smoke when you're pregnant. All of those. And people who knew it Continued to do it. So why are we so bad at transferring concept that we understand and accept into behavior change?
1: Our behaviour as humans has very, very little to do with logic. You know, we like to think that we are rational decision makers, and that used to be the rather absurd presumption of a great deal of economics. Whereas in fact, we are not rational decision makers. We are not logical. We are not scientific. We function in in a totally different way. And that accounts for, you know, that accounts for the behaviour you describe with regard to smoking, which really only went into serious decline when there was social change. It wasn't logic or argumentation that really made a difference at an individual level there. Now, I can give a bunch of reasons for this. There's something called uh, temporal discounting, which is uh, acting now. um, we, We tend not to act now when the chief benefit is down the road. For example, if I logically know that stopping smoking now means I'm less likely to get cardiac disease in the future, that's generally not tangible enough to be a major driver of change. And also, like climate change, the smoking example is non-linear. In other words, we, we don't start to feel the negative effects gradually over time necessarily. Some people do, but some people don't. The, the negative effects can come suddenly down the road in the form of a heart attack or a stroke. So when there isn't always that slow buildup of problems, we tend not to take action. And also, the negative effects can feel distant. So certainly the information needs to be there. The science matters. And it's important what we do is based in science. Some people respond very well to it. But most of us, most of our responses are based on short-term thinking, they're based on emotions, they're based on, if you like, psychological interpretations of a situation. We're, We're not half as rational as we like to fancy we are.
0: What about those whose minds have already been up, been made up? Because if you you look particularly at politics, I mean, let's take a case in point, US politics currently, trying to explain to a Trump supporter the logic of why they shouldn't support Donald Trump gets people absolutely nowhere, though they still keep trying to do it with a large chunk of his uh, um, electorate. So for people who don't care about climate change or for people who think it is overblown How, if logic doesn't work, do you begin to chip away at preordained beliefs?
1: I think the main thing is the overall message should not be aimed at a hardcore of people who have absolutely determined their views and are unlikely to be amenable to much change. There is a great number of people, the vast majority of people in Ireland and in the world who, who, who are genuinely open or already convinced and want to do the right thing. So the main focus of messages and strategies need to be on the vast majority of people in the middle who are keen to do the right thing. It is possible that there is a cohort at the end End of the spectrum who are uh, whose minds you know literally cannot be changed and for such persons it is important to outline the science and but more important yet again to listen to what they're saying and why they hold the viewpoints they do a lot of us hold viewpoints about things because of our viewpoints about other things and we don't want to be seen as inconsistent and um, so sometimes listening to people can produce a softening but it would be a mistake to focus too much on the hard core of absolute Absolute climate change deniers. They are a very small group of people. Um, And, you know, the science is obviously overwhelmingly against their position. It is far more useful to focus on those in the middle who simply need a little more information, maybe a little more practical encouragement and a little more support and a little more reward. And if we can move that major middle part of the population who want to do the right thing and are caring, compassionate people, that is how change will happen. And there'll always be a small percentage of people who resist.
0: Lastly, Brendan, from the the psychiatric and psychological perspective, not looking at the merits of the argument, what of the kind of behaviours we're seeing, like the stop oil protesters, where they're impinging on the lives of people day to day in the hope that they draw more attention to the issue, does that cause people to turn to their cause or does the anger that it creates cause them to turn away?
1: That's a really, really difficult one because the protesters do an incredibly important job highlighting issues that would otherwise not be highlighted. And I think that's important. But I think while while such protests, it's important to take them seriously and to look look at what they're saying and the point they're making, it is possibly not the best way of producing change, or at least it needs to be accompanied by a Let's sit down and talk this through and see how everybody is affected. Because there is a tendency to displace blame here. And we see this a great deal sometimes when people talk about uh, emissions and farming, for example, as if farming was entirely separate from a much broader social food production process. Whereas what we we need to do as individuals is take responsibility for our own choices, maybe our choices about what we eat, maybe trying to move a little bit more towards eating plants in a very great Way So that all sectors of society, including farming, can make sustainable and gradual changes that they can maintain over time. But it really is down to individual behaviour in the end. So look, the protesters, they do make important points that might otherwise not be made, but that does need to be accompanied by a moment when everyone says, OK, let's sit down and look how everyone is affected by what is being proposed or what is being objected to. And how, how can we move this forward in a reasonable way? It is small changes by large numbers of people that produce the biggest changes of all.
0: Brendan, thank you for your time this morning. That's Brendan Kelly, Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College, Dublin.
1: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva
0: Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.